You know, it's always uh, fantastic when you don't bring your notes. That's fun. Okay, we're going to have 45 minutes of silent prayer. Well, hey, do me a favor and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, hey, listen, how perfect is it that we're speaking on 1 Corinthians 8, 9, 10, and 11 during a week that the world calls Halloween. Now, you may not participate in Halloween, and that's totally fine, but if you have people coming to your door, what other day of the year can that happen? And they're asking for something good. So, if they're coming to your house, we have this, Gospels of John here, and you're welcome. We have them by the boxfuls. You're welcome to take any Gospel of John. I mean, you're t- I'm talking if you want 100, 200, they're right there, and there's more downstairs. And there's also Bibles, mini Bibles, and you're welcome to have as many as you want, and they're right there. So, if the Lord convicts you in that way, and you want to impact the culture, there you go, the Gospel of John and the Bible, okay? Now, the reason I say uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 9, 10, and 11, because if you're traveling here, you're going to need to know the backstory. I mean, excuse me, if you're coming here for the first time and you haven't been traveling with us through 1 Corinthians 8, 9, 10, and 11, you're going to need the backstory. And that's this. We're in a very vile city, Corinth, in the book of the Bible. It's a city where a lot of seafaring people came because it was a little isthmus. I can hardly say that word. That's a word I struggle with just pronouncing it. But anyway, isthmus, you know what I'm saying, right? And it's a four-mile little piece of land at the bottom of Greece. And to go down below and over to Italy was very dangerous. Many people called it the most dangerous cape in the ancient world, and so sailors were very reticent to navigate that track, so they actually made this rolling system where they would dry dock their ship, roll it four miles to the other side, and put it in a body of water on the other side so that they wouldn't have to go around the Cape. Anyway, it's to say that it was a seafaring place with a lot of sailors, and with the commerce and that sort of military, no offense, but there were some really wicked things that were going on in the city. Not unlike a lot of our American cities. And that's where God took this guy named Paul, who was a Jewish person who formerly killed Christians, but when he became a Christian, God called him to share the gospel all around the ancient world. He was a great establisher of churches by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and in fact, He, for 18 months, planted the church in Corinth, and now he's been gone for a couple years, and Corinth is writing a letter to him and saying, or letters, and saying, we got some problems, and we need some help. And so Paul's response back is just that, a response to the problems that they're having. If you don't know that, see, I used to read the Bible and say, why isn't it, anybody ever said this to yourself? Why, don't, why didn't God just, boom, boom, just kind of give you the, boom, the, 
the bullet points and just let me learn it in one place. And the Bible tells us it's the glory of a king to search out a matter. In other words, for a person who's being called to walk as God has called us to walk, it's glorious in some way. It's good for us that we seek God with our whole hearts and we search things out. And so God chose to write 66 love letters in one big love letter, so to speak, and give it to us and show us who he is. And here we find ourselves in this book of Corinthians, and he's dealing with what we would call debatable issues. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you don't know whether you have the Holy Spirit of God living in your heart, you're going to want to, if the Spirit so moves, to give your life to Christ, to surrender your life to Christ, to say that I'm a sinner, as the Bible says, I'm a sinner that can't reach God. I've fallen short of his standards, but yet the Lord sent Jesus to pay the penalty that I couldn't pay for my sins. And when we count on the finished work of Christ at the cross and his resurrection, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 that you become the building, so to speak, where the Holy Spirit of God resides. He doesn't reside here, although he does in one sense. He resides in his people. You're the tabernacle of God. And that is Christianity. And what happens is when you surrender your life to Christ, you come into the family of God. Listen to what I just said. You could look it up in the first chapter of John. To those who receive him, to, the, uh, to them he gives the right to become children of God. So in a spiritual sense, although you're made in the image and likeness of God, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you're not in the spiritual family of God. I didn't say it. The Bible says it. And what we're talking about applies to the family of God. So if you don't know you're a Christian, you're going to get a peek into the, to, or into the life of the Christian church. And what Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how the church should operate. i got news for you. It operates in a way that's totally different from human social clubs. It's not like that. It's the way that God prescribes, not the way we want him to prescribe it. And he says, through Paul, in these several chapters that we've been studying, that there are certain issues in the church that some people are free to do, but some people are convicted not to do them. And one of the examples that he uses is eating meat that was sacrificed to idols at pagan temples. Some people look at the, the meat that was sacrificed at pagan temples that is now for sale in the temple supermarket, so to speak, and say, well, I can eat that because there's no such thing as another god. I don't care who they worship or what they worship. There's no such thing as another god. I worship the one true and living God. If I eat meat that was sacrificed in a temple, it means nothing to me. But there's people who have been living in the culture that that really influences them. And so they say, no way would we eat that stuff. That's been uh, um, uh, sacrificed to an idol, and I can't associate myself with that. And Paul says, listen, both camps are okay because they're debatable issues. 
Both camps are okay. You can have that conviction over here, and you could have that conviction over here. That's totally fine. But the problem becomes when this camp looks across the aisle and says, look how spiritual we are. We don't partake in the meat. And you people, you left-leaning blah, blah, blah. I can't believe. Are you even saved? People say. You ought to be like us. And then these people over here, they hear that and they just laugh. What? You're all hung up in all that legalistic stuff. You ought to be free like me. Come on, let's go down to the supermarket. And Paul says, wait a minute now. Paul says, I'm free, Paul, not me, is free to eat the meat. It doesn't impact him. But if it impacts my fellow brothers and sisters in a negative way not to see Christ, Paul actually says, I'd never eat meat again. And he's continuing that thought, thinking of others inside the church, thinking of others. You, folks, I don't know if you know this, but let me give you a little secret. You don't always have to be right. Christians have this thing about them where they always have to be right. And not only right, I want you to do it my way. And you're not doing it my way? Oh, my goodness. Paul says none of that. And he's talking about debatable issues. And at the end of chapter 10, look at this in verse 23, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Wouldn't be an amazing Christian world if I was thinking about you instead of me all the time. And you were thinking about me instead of you all the time. Did I say that right? I got myself turned around there. Paul says, doesn't he? He says this, both camps have knowledge. They've thought it through. They think about it. There's some good reasons, knowledge, intellectually, why they would or would not do a certain thing. You have lots of knowledge, but if you have knowledge and no love, you're just puffed up and your life is going to show pride instead of Jesus. You get that? Okay, so watch also in chapter 10. Look, look down here in verse 31. What a principle. He's talking about eating or drinking, but it, it could be applied to debatable issues. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I know what your mission in life is, because I just read it to you. I know what my mission in life is. Has God called you to this, or this, or this, or this, or this? It doesn't matter. Your life is to glorify God. And what is glorify? It means to exalt or make big. I know what your mission is. You know what your mission is. You come and say, well, should I go to Yale or Harvard? Should I take this job or that job? Yeah. And when you get there, glorify the Lord. So, you're to glorify God. And then watch in 32, don't 
miss out on 32 of chapter 10. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. The Bible says in another place, as much as it's up to you and me, as much as it's up to us, live in peace with all men. And yet you and I have a message that is what Jesus called divisive and some people would hate. And yet, you're called to live in peace with all men as much as it's up to you. See how you need the Lord and I need the Lord? So give no offense, and then look in verse 33, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Now, you've got to hang with me. You think I'm stalling. You think I don't want to talk about head coverings, but I do. Go over to what the ladies studied at the men's retreat, men's retreat, women's retreat, in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 4. So look in verse 3, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who don't believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we, look, watch, 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 Paul says, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, boy, wouldn't it be tempting for Paul, the, maybe the greatest evangelist of all time, wouldn't it be tempting for Paul to say, you know, I do want to preach Christ. But, you know, if they give me a pat on the back, that won't be too bad either. He says, for we don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God, or, yeah, it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who's shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we, watch, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, what, dirt. You came from dirt, you're going to go back to dirt physically. <laughs> but inside these plain, dusty vessels, broken pots, the excellence of the power may be of God. In other words, your life is to shine forth out of dusty, dirty, sometimes broken pots, weak pots, you and I are to shine forth God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. That's what you're to do wherever you go. And we could keep reading, and I got excited and shut my book, but it even talks about how they were hard-pressed on every side. There was pressures and all these things. But look in verse 16. Therefore, we don't lose heart through all those things. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a more, far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, you catching this? But at the, the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Folks, you and I in the family of God are to have a heavenly perspective, a heavenly perspective. Now, I've just gave you sort of half of my introduction. I got more. But the reason I'm doing that is you got to have a heavenly perspective, 
when you read through these scriptures. Did I ever tell you that I like football? And in particular, I really like the Buckeyes. I don't really care much about pro football, but I like the Buckeyes. We grew up in Columbus. We, we, you know, if you grew up in Columbus in the 70s, that was all you heard about. And, and no offense, but Ohio State, with about five other teams, just cream of the crop pro football program, five-star recruits, four-star recruits. We got everybody. We got two All-American backup quarterbacks to an All-American quarterback. And we're going to play Penn State last night, and here's what you're doing. You're thinking, well, will this quarterback throw for 300 yards, and this guy run for 400 yards, and man, I hope the offensive line blocks, and we got a really great defensive back, and man, and they're all Americans, and wouldn't you know it, the kicker won the game. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the kicker. The kicker couldn't start at North Carolina. He wasn't even the first string kicker. And now in college football, you can transfer at a whim. And so he transfers to Ohio State. We got nobody at kicker. And last night, we're, Penn State played so great, folks. I mean, great. If you like Penn State, well, shame on you, but you ought to be proud. And, and I don't know if you know what the red zone is, but it's inside the 20-yard line. And with 10 straight drives inside the 20-yard line, and every time we get inside the 20-yard line, Penn State just shuts it down. And here you go. You got All-American, 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 All-American. And the kicker ends up kicking four or five field goals and basically wins the game for Ohio State. Now, why am I telling you that story in 1 Corinthians 11? Can you believe I'm relating this to 1 Corinthians 11? <laughs> it's because when you're on a team or when you're in a family, <laughs> everybody's equal and important. Everybody. In fact, the book of Galatians says to us, in Christ, in Christ, there's neither Greek nor Jew. There's not, the Jews don't have something on us. They're not closer to God than the Gentiles are. And if you realized and lived back in that society, that statement right there alone, you'd be blown away. And he goes on and he says, other freedmen or slaves, equal. That's amazing because the Roman Empire, of which Corinth was part, had slaves everywhere but in Christ, equal. And then he goes on and he says, men and women are equal. If Ohio State, hopefully, wins the Big Ten Championship, the kicker is going to get a ring. But if they win the championship, so are all the five-star and four-star athletes, but so is the kicker. You get it? The point is this. In the body of Christ, listen, I want you to write this down. I'm serious about that. I want you to write this down. Every one of us is equal in Christ Jesus. Every one of us. 
There's no inequality in the gospel. But watch. But each one of us have different roles. Roles, not, I could be funny right here, but (laughs) R-O-L-E-S, roles do not equate to inequality. You've got to know that. If you don't know that while we're running through this, you're going to get tripped up. And in particular, in this chapter, remember with the backdrop of can we do these things, can we not do these things, Paul is going to talk about a problem that's occurring in the local church in Corinth. And that's this, is that some of the ladies in the church, uh uh-oh, here we go, time out for a second. If you get upset here, I'm not kidding around. Don't you dare run out of here in a huff. You come up and talk after. Because if you understand roles, R-O-L-E-S, submission, and the will of God, your life is going to grow into something beautiful. And I'm talking about whether you're a male or a female. So don't get mad. And the other thing is, don't shut down during this sermon, if I ever get going, because there's something at the end of this sermon, I'm almost sure 90% of you have never seen or understood. So let's do it. Paul starts out and says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Wow. And you read uh, in Hebrews. Why don't we just turn to the Hebrews passages and focus on those about the pastor? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) He says, imitate the pastor. Hopefully the pastor is living in such a way that's Christ-like. But he also says for each individual Christian that we're to live lives that other people are to imitate. And one great big litmus test of the life of a Christian is if you can look across the aisle and be patient with people who aren't doing it the same way you are. Because the whole purpose, whether you're over here or whether you're over here, is 2 Corinthians 4, that people would see Jesus in you. Which is going to require dying to self, whether you're male or female. In fact, I didn't read it to you, but it said you carry around the death of Jesus in your life, but you get the life of Jesus too, you see. Okay, so he says that, and that sort of should have been in chapter 10. You know that the numbering system of the Bible is not inspired, right? That probably should have been in chapter 10. Well, here he goes. Now, I praise you, brothers. Who's he praising? The people at Corinth, the church. Can you hardly believe it? The church was a mess dysfunctional. But I praise you, brothers, uh, that you remember me in all things. Keep thinking about uh, remembering and keep the traditions, those teachings and practices of the apostles, 2 Timothy 2.2. You could also look in Acts 2.42. What did they do? They focused on doctrine, 
teaching. They focused on fellowship. They focused on breaking of bread and prayer. And the Lord added unto their numbers daily. You can go look at it. That's this. He says, remember how we did things in the good way. Keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Keep on trucking with Acts 2.42. You see that? And then he says, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, if you're going to understand all of chapter 11, excuse me, really, actually, to verse 16, this is it. This is the heartbeat of what he's saying. See, God wants to make something beautiful out of your life. We should write a song about that. God is making something beautiful out of your life, and how he does it is through redemption. He takes people who are sinners, by his sacrifice of his son, he brings people back into the family of God and makes them Christ-like so that they'll live with him for all eternity. Are you getting that? That's the message of the gospel. And so he says, I want you to know, I need you to know, Paul says, I got to have you know that there is this thing called headship. Now, what does your head do? See, in the ancient world, and really, I guess that's sort of right, coupled with your heart, your head is sort of the command center. If I want to go get a drink of water downstairs, there's these things that fire up here, and I say, move your legs and go. And I do. I set my will to it, my brain's thinking, and my command center has told me to go. It's sort of the thing that leads me to do the things I do. You get that? And so headship, we are talking in this chapter about headship, recognizing, I'm going to say it all throughout this so you remember, that headship doesn't mean inequality. It means roles. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. If you're sitting in here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, or maybe there's somebody downstairs or up here who's an atheist or an agnostic or, or whatever, whether they like it or not, whether they believe it or not, what's true is that the head of every man is Jesus Christ. How do I know? Because the Bible tells us in Philippians, it tells us that Every knee is going to bow at Jesus Christ. You say, well, wait a second. When I turn on the news, not every knee is bowing now. Yeah, you're right, but he, you will bow to Jesus Christ. He's coming back in judgment. He's now saying to you in grace, come, come, come. I'm coming back. There will come a day, whether you believe it or not, it's true. Jesus Christ is the head For those who've come into the family of God, he is our head. He is the head of every man. He is our head. He's our authority. He's what everything goes through. We see life through the lens of Jesus Christ. He actually comes by the Spirit of Christ and lives in our heart. And now we read the Word of God and we're moved and directed and led in submission. We've surrendered to Christ. That's what the Christian has done. Now, before I get to the next one, I'm kidding. 
I want you to know this. This is important. The way in which you talk about this, I think, is important, sort of like sex. Sex is a good thing. Submission is a good thing. We shouldn't be embarrassed by it at all. It's beautiful. How do I know it's beautiful? Because I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. Skip the second verse for a second. And the head of Christ is God. You know how I know submission is beautiful? Because that's what Jesus' life was all about. What do you mean? Jesus said, watch this, folks. Remember, we're saying nobody's, there's no inequality in this. It's just different roles. Are you tracking with me? Remember what Jesus said. I and the Father are, say it, one. Jesus said, I'm equal with God. And in fact, when you read that scripture, they picked up stones because they knew exactly what he was saying. They said he was blaspheming. They said he was claiming to be God himself. Jesus Christ claimed, watch this, equality with God. And yet, he said, I only do those things, watch this, that please the Father. I only do those things that please the Father. He said other things. He said, do you remember this? He said, um, I uh, give honor to the Father, and the Father honors me. Do you remember those scriptures? He also said, I see my Father working, and I work. Now, why did I just bring you through all those scriptures? The first one is, Jesus claimed equality with God. Though he was God, he put aside his rights and privileges to his deity when he came to earth. That's Philippians 2. He never stopped being God. I'm not saying that. He always was God, but he came and lived as a man. So even though he could say, I and the Father are one, he had a, look, look, he's equal with God. Now he had a different role. And if you want to see the beauty of a man's relationship with his wife, because, watch this now, in Colossians 3, it says that women, ladies, wives, submit to your husbands. And you're like, uh-oh. Nails on a chalkboard. It shouldn't be nails on a chalkboard. Here's why. Just look at what Jesus did with God, the Father. I and the Father are one, we're equal, yet for the greater good, the role that I'm taking on, I'm going to do only those things that please the Father. Now, am I saying, I'm not saying, you only do those things that please your husband. But what this is calling us to in marriage, in Ephesians and Galatians and other places, and watch this, the local assembly is to not use your freedom, ladies, out of order. What do I mean? What does Paul mean? Well, you've got to know something. Well, before I go there, just let me, let me give you a little rabbit trail in, in marriage. Let's just use marriage as an example. I've just given you the scriptures of what submission is all about. In Romans 12, it says that Christians are to outdo each other in honor. Bible tells me in Ephesians chapter 5 that I'm supposed to submit to her and she's supposed to submit to me out of reverence for Christ. You catching that? 
And the Bible says that I'm the leader spiritually in my home. And that my wife is to submit to the spiritual leadership of our house. Are you catching that? Which implies a couple things. Guys, will you please lead? You know how many ladies are dying for their husbands to lead? And they don't. So figure out what leading is, okay? And ladies don't chafe at the leading. It's a picture, Ephesians tells us. Ephesians tells us, go read it. It's a picture of your relationship with the Lord. <laughs> ladies. You say, I'm picking on the ladies. No, I'm not picking on the ladies, folks. When we're, watch this. Jesus Christ participated in the work that the Father had for him. Watch this. So what should a role of a man and a woman be in the, the house? We are both rowing the oars in the same direction. We're working for the same goal. If the Lord's put you together as husband and wife, and maybe he's blessed you with children, well, well, then listen, what's the goal in your house as you pray together, as you work this thing out? Oh, the goal is to raise godly children. That's in the Bible. So let's row in the same direction, raising godly children our whole life. Let's do that. Okay, let's do that. And then we lead, and, and she helps, and she comes alongside. It's beautiful. What is the other thing you see with Jesus and the Father, he gives honor to the Father. Watch this. And the honor gives Father back. We honor one another. Why do you think that's in your vows? What's so bad about this relationship? Why would we ever get upset about it? It's two people coming together under the headship of Jesus Christ. Like the football game last night. Somebody's got to kick, somebody's got to block, somebody's got to call the plays. No one's not equal, we just have different roles. And so, that's marriage, but in this chapter, I know I've been talking about marriage, in this chapter, something else has happened. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man. You say, well, I'm chafing at that. Don't chafe at that. And the head of Christ is God because you look at the voluntary, watch this, submission of Christ to the Father. Did you hear what I said? I started a word with a V. It's voluntary. We're choosing. Every day we're choosing. If, if you don't want to do that, I'm not being a smart aleck. You're going to think I'm a smart aleck. And I'm not, and I'm being serious. You don't have to. Don't get married. But in the church, watch, if you understand those basic principles, the rest of this chapter is going to make sense to you. It's this, that every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. What does head mean? It means Leader, authority. Who's, who's the leader authority of the man? Christ. If every man praying or prophesying, if he has his head covered, watch this. Do, man, this is, you're going to love this. But every, well, maybe you won't like this, but every woman who prays or prophesied with her head 
uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. What's going on here? People are getting up in the assembly, and they're either praying or prophesying, taking their concerns to God or hearing from God and telling the assembly what it is they've heard, and the men, apparently, kept head coverings on. Now you're like, well, wait a minute, where does that come from? Here's where it come from. By the way, who's going to go to Israel with us? Okay, watch this. <laughs> watch this. In the Old Testament, the priests, the one who ministered in the tabernacle, the one who went between God and men, the priests, what did they always have to wear? A turban. They had to wear a headset, a headdress. Wait a minute, don't check out. Also, that's in Exodus. Also, do you remember when Moses went up on the mountain and he received the Ten Commandments? And he actually came down, and do you remember? His head was covered. <laughs> and the Jews, to this day, will say the reason his head was covered is because we couldn't look upon the shining of the Lord and live. But in the, watch, watch. But in the Bible, that's not what it says. In the Bible, it's, it says that Moses was there with the Lord on the mountain, and he started to come down the mountain, and he was really concerned about something. Anybody know what it was? That the glory of God would diminish. So he veiled himself, or he was veiled, wherever where you want to put it. That's important. Remember that. So to this day, if you come, to a, come with us to Israel, you're going to get on the plane, and you're going to see something you've probably never seen in your life. There's going to be a lot of Orthodox Jews, and at certain times, they're going to get up out of their seat, they're going to put a prayer shawl over their head, and they're going to go stand and look towards Israel or Jerusalem, and they're going to say their prayers right in the plane. And then later that week, when you go with us to the old city, there's a place called the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall, and if you want to go up and pray at the Wailing Wall, you can do it, but you got to do something. you got to grab... A yarmulke, am I saying that right? A head covering, and you got to put it on. Why? Because to this day, the Jewish people who live, watch, who live according to the law, what was Moses getting? The law. Still think you need to cover your head like Moses. And you're like, none of you are gasping right now. Because all you want to focus on is whether or not the woman has to put a head covering on. I want you to see something here. Paul is saying right here, hey, you men, not all of them are Jews, I recognize that, but some of them are. Hey, you men, when you get up and pray and prophesy, I want you to do something that's terribly uncomfortable for you. I don't want you to wear a head covering, he says. Isn't that interesting? In fact, anybody here know Samson? Yeah, you know Samson. Samson took a Nazarite vow, right? And he grew long hair. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, that's really important for the story too. But what I want you to see right now is that Jewish men, even to this day, wear a head covering. Paul says, when you're prophesying, I don't want you to wear a head covering. Listen, that is an evidence that this is a role 
that the person is doing while they attend the local assembly. And what is the person doing? Will you turn with me to 2 Corinthians 3.18 as we see how the man is supposed to watch. Don't get upset about this. The man is supposed to lead in the local assembly. Watch this. It's a symbol of something. And here's what it is. It's in verse 18. Well, we could even go in 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Watch this. Hey, men, as you lead in the local assembly or you lead at home, you're ha- to have your head uncovered, so to speak. If you have a hat on here, don't worry about it, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. But you had to have your head uncovered. What does that mean? While the law kills and the glory of the Lord diminishes in your life, for those who are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the new covenant of grace, and you're living your life, you're to take your head, off, head covering off and to show it unto the, all the world. Are you kidding me? You guys are all focused on whether the lady has to wear a head covering or not. You're missing that the men are being asked to do something that's uncomfortable for them. They're doing a role, too, right here, right under your nose. Oh, drop the mic moment. (laughs) Are you catching it? The, the, The symbol is that the man, here's how he leads. It's... Because he recognizes at the foot of the cross, he was a sinner and he's been saved. And the blood of Christ has washed him clean. And he's now been filled with the Spirit and he's, been tra- he's being transformed from glory to glory. And he's scooping up his bride if he's married. That's not where this applies. But he's showing that out forth in the church to the men and the ladies. You catching it? Well, watch this. You go, oh, no. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered. And and by the way, every man praying or prophesying who has his head covered, it's a symbol of you closing that off in Christ. Men, in Corinth. That's the key phrase. But to the women, there's a different role if you pray or prophesy in the local assembly with your head uncovered, you dishonor her head. So if you do, men, in Corinth, what God has told you not to do, to keep a head covering on, you're dishonoring Christ. Women, ladies, if you did that, you dishonor your head. The leadership of your life. And that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. Now, you need a little backdrop. If you want to study the Bible and understand it, you can't read the Bible in, out of context. You can't do it. And in this context, remember, do you remember part of the law in Numbers is if a lady got caught in adultery. You can talk to me about this later, but if a lady got caught in adultery under the law, The Bible said her head was shaved. You're like, oh my gosh. 
That's humiliating, yes, but remember the story of Jesus when people came to the lady who was in adultery and they wanted to cast the stone and he knelt down and wrote something in the dirt and he said, well, you who've never done anything like this or you who are without sin, you, you go ahead and throw the first stone and nobody could. So remember, I'm just telling you what it was in the law. And in Corinth, remember, it's a Greek city, you know this, it's Greek, but it's also operated by the Roman world, it's under the dominion of the Romans, and there's Jews, so you have Romans, Greeks, and Jews, and others in the synagogue. And for them, you know this, in the Near East, if a lady was married to someone or a lady was tied to somebody, a man, she wore a veil or a head covering, right? And in the city of Corinth, if you chose not to wear a veil and if you kept your hair short, and if you got it short hair, don't worry about it. This is not for you. I'm going to stick with me. <laughs> Just stick with me. Don't leave. If you uncovered your head and you had short hair, watch this, you were saying to people out in the streets as you walked around, I'm available, which meant you weren't under the covering of anything or anyone. Do you get it? So what he's saying is, hey, men, you're going to be uncomfortable. I know you want to wear this, but you're not going to. You're going to give forth the glory of God. And hey, ladies, you're going to cover your head, and you're going to honor Christ through honoring your husband or the men in your life who are exercising leadership. Leadership is sub, uh, servant leadership. And you're going to do it because you're going to say, I've chosen to voluntarily give my life to my husband and thus the Lord. And it doesn't impact me. Now you're saying, oh my gosh, I'm frazzled right now. Okay, let me take you back to something. Paul's whole section of church here, or his whole section of this scripture is whether you're in this camp to freely do something or this camp to freely refrain from something. And he's saying, because of the local custom there in Corinth, if you show up in the public assembly without a head covering, you're going to impact people who think, oh my goodness, what is she doing? You, you get it? Maybe you don't get it. But let me go on because I think this is going to clear it up for you. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. You see, there it is. I read it to you in 2 Corinthians 3. But a woman is the glory of man. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything bad. It doesn't mean you're not intelligent. You're not strong. It doesn't mean what submission is. Just take, take, take a peek at Deborah in the Bible. Lydia in the Bible. It doesn't mean any of that. It doesn't mean inequality in any way. It means roles. And one of the things we should be leading in as people who minister to the ladies in the church and then the one of the things we should be participating in as married men who are, have uh, a, a spouse 
is that we look at them and we're doing everything we can for them to grow in Christ. Because the ladies in your life, look at this, look at this. The ladies in your life are a reflection of you. It's not this. It's not under the thumb of somebody. That's not that. You're outdoing each other in honor. You're serving one another. For if a woman isn't, oh, sorry. For a man is not from woman, but woman from man. And this just goes back to Genesis. Do you know this? Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. Notice where he took the man or the woman from, the rib. He didn't take it from the toes or the feet so that men could dominate. He didn't take it from the head so that the woman could be over top the man. He took it right here from the side so that there could be this loving, amazing relationship. And he goes back to that. For man is not from woman, but woman for man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. She just was created out of his side to be a helpmate. Does that mean you can't do things and think and be independent and strong? No, that's not what it means. It just means you have different roles. You just have different roles. Watch this. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Now, if you don't get this... You're never going to understand this chapter, and I know we're going over a little bit, but we got to do it because of the angels. For this reason, the women ought to have a symbol of authority overhead because of the angels. What in the world does that mean? I mean, if I was writing about authority and leadership in the church and authority and leadership in, in the family, you, you know what I probably would have never thought about? Angels? Well, we know some things about angels. They're ministering spirits. They minister to the body. I even believe, because of Revelation, that churches have some angels assigned to them. But you could study that yourself. But you know what happened with the angels? There was this one angel. His name was Lucifer. And you could read about it in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. And you know what he said? Beautiful, worshipful angel. You know what he said? He said, I want to be like God. I'm going to do what I want. I know what God says about some certain things, but I'll have my way. And what happened to Lucifer? He was thrust out of heaven. And now he's the enemy of your soul and my soul. Now watch this. Watch this. You're like, what does this have to do with authority? Because when we start talking about authority between a man and a woman, leadership, servanthood, leading in servanthood, the hair on the back of the neck, a lot of people start to stand up. Am I right? Just like Lucifer who said, I don't care what God says. In fact, take, go with me to James chapter 3. Go there. He's talking in verse 13, James chapter 3, about heavenly wisdom and demonic wisdom. Okay? Heavenly wisdom, demonic wisdom. And he says this, verse 15. This wisdom doesn't descend from above, that's demonic wisdom, but is earthly, sensual demonic. And then he goes on and he de describes demonic wisdom in the next sentence. Watch this. For where envy and self-seeking exist, 
confusion and every evil thing are there. Oh, now that says something to both the man and the woman. If you're taking your authority and leadership and saying, you serve me, you're acting just like the angels that fell. If you say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I went to this church and the word of God said I was to submit to the authority of the man, I don't care what it says, I ain't doing it. Look what it says about demonic wisdom. But also, on the flip side of that, two-thirds of the angels are angels who are in the camp of God, and they look down here, and they look at this, how these roles come together, and a proper, right functioning of the church, and they're just, in First Peter, it says, they're looking over heaven at salvation and the way the church works, and they love it. Because they don't participate in it. It's beautiful when it works the right way. You understand it? Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I thought that was amazing. But all right. <laughs> Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman. Here you go. Here you go for ladies. Ladies, jump up and down right here. How do I know these are roles? Is this just some pastor speak? No, because Paul himself says, neither is man independent of woman. I don't know if you know this, but I wouldn't be here without a woman. And neither would any of you. We need ladies, and ladies need us. That's what it says here. Neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man. In the Lord, we need each other. This is not a lording it over situation. And then he goes this. He just says it. He just says it. Watch as we close. Watch. I think this is so. I think chapter 8, 9, 10, and 11. The ones we love to skip over so we can get to the spiritual gifts. I think 8, 9, 10, and 11 are the heartbeat of Christianity. In our families in our ability to bear long with people who don't think like we think. Within the family of God, I think it's the heartbeat of Christianity. I think it's a, it's a litmus test whether the Lord's in your life and you're progressing in his Christ-likeness and my Christ-likeness. So he goes this, judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? And then he just uses an example. He goes, I'm just going to tell you about nature. Now, it's not like this now so much, but, you know, you know, in Harry and Ozziet days, generally the ladies had longer hair, and generally the men had shorter hair. And he's not making a dead set rule, but what he's saying is, does not even nature teach itself to you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. He's saying, even in nature, this sort of plays out. Men generally, most of the time, have long hair or short hair, excuse me, and women generally most of the time have long hair. He's not making a hard and fast rule. He's just pointing to nature, that's all. If you have short hair and you're a lady, it's okay. If you have long hair and you're a man, it's okay. He's just pointing to nature. I loved the Cincinnati Reds when I was growing up. Oh, it all comes back to sports. 
And the owners of the Reds, you couldn't have beards and long hair. Anyway, that's for a different day. But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. What is your covering? You go back to chat, verse 3. Now, here you go. You're all feeling a little uneasy, and you're all ready to come up and talk to me because you're not going to go out in a huff. And then he, un- he just lets you have it with this. So beautiful. This is so beautiful. It should touch your heart. It touches my heart. He says this. But if anyone seems to be contentious, you ever caught this before? Paul don't live in Corinth, folks. He's writing a letter back to Corinth. He says, this is too much, and it's just blowing up the church. Just remember, that's for Corinth. We don't have any such thing in our church. That's what Paul just said. Come on now. Remember when I started out here, we got one or two people with a hat on. Why don't you have a hat on? We're not making you wear a hat, a covering. I'd never wear a hat or a covering or not have a hat. or That's nothing. But what I do have, hopefully, or what the pastor has or where you go, is that the glory of the Lord is shining forth from his life, and he's helping lead his family and the people in the church into more glory of the Lord. You see it? Look, look what he says. If anyone seems to be contentious, remember... We don't have a custom, watch, nor do the churches of God. (laughs) It all comes back to this. Remember the two camps? This camp says, you guys don't need to wear a head covering, or if you wear a hat, that's okay too. This camp says, what are you talking about? Didn't you read 1 Corinthians chapter 11? Men, no hats. Women, get a hat on. You're missing the point. By the way, if that helps you worship the Lord over here, if that helps you worship the Lord with hats or no hats, do it. Praise the Lord. What is always the problem? It's when the two camps become contentious. That's where the problem arises. So here's the point. Whether you wear a hat or don't wear a hat, don't let anybody put a trip on you about it. The only trip you should be feeling is if you're not following the principles that the Lord laid down right here. Ah, praise God for these principles. And thank you, Lord, for Noah Ruggles, the Ohio State kicker. (laughs) Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you so much for this word. What a word. Lord, help us to be tender-hearted here towards others who think differently of us. And when people are putting trips on us, Lord, help us to be patient and bear long with them. And oh, by the way, Lord, help us to, uh, to derive our source and satisfaction for life and resource from you and not from other people. And Lord, as I move out in the world, help us to love people like you have. To lay down our lives. To let your glory shine forth in our weakness. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.